Make sure to watch The Ringer's new live reaction show, Talk the Thrones. Each week, Andy Greenwald, Chris Ryan, Mother of Dragons, Mallory Rubin, and our very own maester, Jason Concepcion, are coming to you live after the East Coast airings of Game of Thrones Season 7. Talk the Thrones will stream exclusively on Twitter and Periscope right after each episode ends and can be found on The Ringer's Twitter handle, at Ringer. Andy, Chris, Mallory, and Jason will be reacting at the same time as you, contextualizing the events and explaining everything that just unfolded. Again, the show is called Talk the Thrones, and you can stream it live after the East Coast airings of Game of Thrones Season 7 on our Twitter and Periscope, at Ringer. Hello, and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show, part of The Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a staff writer for TheRinger.com. I'm joined, as always, by my fellow writer for The Ringer, Michael Bauman. Hello, Michael. Ben, this week, there is no badger. There's only Darvo! Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was. I hope the listeners were prepared for that. That was extremely loud. <laughs> Sorry, I, I moved away from the mic, but I did not. I, not far enough. <laughs> I did download this awesome reggaeton horn uh, Android app to my phone. Yes. <laughs> that's that's going to be trade a, deadline horn. That's going to be a regular feature on the podcast. Oh, uh, we all hope on. so. Yeah. So as you know, I am in beautiful, sunny Salina, Kansas. Actually, not so sunny. The game I'm here to see was rained out today. I'm staying in a motel that has value in the name, which is never a good sign. The pool is open until 10, but empty of water. So you can just sit in the concrete depression if you're so inclined. I'm here to see an independent league team play baseball, and I'll be writing about them for the ringer next week. But as I understand it, some moves were made while I was here, distracted by my independent league trip. Yeah, while well, you've been sitting by this empty concrete pool, I've been writing <laughs> for the past oh, yeah. eight hours. And uh, yeah. yeah, so this this means a lot of caffeine and very little food for me today. So this is going to be a fun <laughs> podcast. Yeah. So it did turn out to be a busy deadline. It looked up until oh, the last hour or so, or, or even mm-hmm. closer in some About cases. 45 that, minutes, yeah. Yeah, that it was going to be slow, that the teams had gotten some moves out of their system early, but that the big ones we were expecting, the Sunny Gray, the U Darvish, that those were not going to come together. And of course they did. Of course, GMs, as usual, waited until the very last second to pull the trigger on these trades. They always do. I always think maybe they'll get some of this stuff out of the way early. And and some teams did, as we talked about on an earlier episode, but not enough of them. There there has to be some chicken played at every deadline. Yeah, the Darvish trade was great. I don't know if you were online when all this was going down, but there was this sense of like collective disappointment that that, mm-hmm. that nothing happened. And then fifteen, you know, about fifteen minutes after the deadline, Ken Rosenthal, the rumor geyser, comes on and Darvish <laughs> has been traded. And it was it yes. was like it's very much this this moonlight winning best picture uh, <laughs> moment. On Twitter, yeah. it was awesome. And he didn't say where in yeah. that first tweet. <laughs> so it was just anyone could have had Darvish for anything. So we are going to go through all the big trades that were made, the winners and losers, as you have just written for TheRinger.com, teams that didn't make moves that were expected to be made. I just wanted to say a quick word about Adrian Beltre, because I did write about him over the weekend. He got his 3,000th hit, and I am so fascinated by Adrian Beltre. I mean, everyone is, obviously, just because because he is so incredibly likable and he's been around for 20 years now and he is great. He is a Hall of Famer, but I'm just amazed by how quickly he has gone from just another guy, a guy who debuted early and was just kind of compiling and no one was considering him or mentioning him in Hall of Fame discussions unless it was to say no, you know, like for a while there, he was one of those people who people would bring up now and then to say, well, if he hangs on long enough, he could compile Hall of Fame type numbers, but that was the only way anyone could foresee him getting in, and and even that seemed to be a long shot. And just in the span of his time in Texas, really three or four years of of his time in Texas, he transformed himself from someone no one was talking about as a Hall of Famer to someone a few people were tentatively kind of supporting, but they had to really justify it and, and use advanced stats and show why he was better than maybe his perception. 
And then now he is just a stone cold lock and no one would argue that depending on what stats they're looking at or anything. If you look at the the traditional milestone stats, now he has the 3000. He might very well get to 500 homers. And if you go by war or defensive stats or or anything, he is just a a clear, clear inner circle type Hall of Famer. And and it happened so quickly. And in my article, I, I showed that it really was happening all along because he is if not the best defensive third baseman ever, second best behind Brooks Robertson. And even when he was not quite the offensive star that he has been lately, he was still piling up defensive numbers and playing in parks that really depressed his offensive stats. So when you account for those things, really, he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory all along. But the world did not give him his due until he got to Texas and played in hitters parks and started making the playoffs and has had just an incredible last act to his career. He's just gotten better at ages when almost everyone gets worse. Yeah, we talked. I mean, I agree with everything that you've said. And obviously, you've thought about this much more deeply than I have over the past week since you wrote about him. But I, you know, I think it was great that we talked about him with Jay last week. And then like, half an hour after we hung up he did the the stuff yeah. with moving the on deck circle and mm-hmm. you know it's not not just that you said it was a matter of him hanging around and compiling those stats and he has but i think he's benefited from the understanding of park adjusted stats because i think mm-hmm. everybody was just sort of down on him in seattle because yeah. he came off that incredible season last season with the dodgers and then he was just sort right. of okay and we realize now that when you adjust for Safeco, he was actually quite good. And the internet, you know, everybody's watching him mm-hmm. on the West Coast now. And he, you know, he is one of the most gifable players of the of the 21st yes. century. I, yeah. I guess if we were gifting people from the 20th century, we, you know, that could be another podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he has legitimately gotten better as a player. Like seven of his eight best offensive seasons have come in Texas after his 30th birthday. So that's unusual, obviously. And it's just that we've caught up to recognizing how great and how lovable he was that whole time because we now have the stats and we know about the stats and we can recognize the defense and how his offense was better than everyone thought and yeah now we can share all of the moments when he is getting his head touched and punching someone or competing for pop-ups with Elvis Andrus or or you know falling to one knee while he's hitting a home run so everything has really conspired to make us appreciate him more but I found in my article that he will be the first Hall of Famer not to have made an all-star game through his age 30 season if you count players who debuted in the All-Star Game era and excluding Monty Irvin and Satchel Paige, who, of course, spent most of their careers in the Negro Leagues. Other than that, it has never happened that a Hall of Famer has never even had an All-Star season before his age 31 season, which is kind of emblematic of just his out-of-nowhere Hall of Fame run. Of course, he had that incredible season in Los Angeles where he hit 48 homers and I think was runner-up in MVP voting and somehow didn't make the All-Star team that season either, which is strange. But still, I think that was the stat that kind of encapsulated for me just how how he's completely reinvented, reinvented what we think of him. Yeah, that, that happens sometimes when a guy really pours it on in the second half. I remember Jimmy mm-hmm. Rollins in 2007 won the Silver Slugger, Gold Glove, and the National League MVP and didn't make the All-Star team. Um, yeah, right. But it was, it was either you or Sam Miller or Bill James who said something like, you don't make your the Hall of Fame in your 20s, you make it in your 30s. Um, mm. And Beltre, I mean- I'm going to guess That's, Bill James yeah, okay. <laughs> out of those yeah, well, three. <laughs> okay. I, I, I mean, I don't it, know. But all right. You know, three titans of usually uh, modern baseball bet. writing. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> but – it, I mean, that's that's pretty much what Beltray did. Like, you know, he yes. was just he just continued being good for for a very long time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's yeah, cool. his his age 31 through whatever it is, 38 seasons. He's been a, a top 10 player in the history of the game, basically, just because mm-hmm. he has gotten better at hitting and his defense hasn't fallen off much. He's still a great third baseman. So really an incredible career and someone it's easy to root for and also easy to appreciate statistically. So I wanted to salute him on this special occasion before we got into the trade deadline stuff, which we can do now. So should we start with the the headliners? Yeah. So let's uh... – 
<laughs> let's, let's let's go to you, Darvish. Yes, let's. All right. Yeah, the late-breaking trade, the Dodgers, the best team in baseball, one of the best teams we've ever seen record-wise. They can't seem to lose a game ever. They keep winning in improbable ways, and now they have acquired probably the best pitcher, best player to change teams at the deadline. So when we talked to Neil Payne last week, he made the point that a lot of people say that if you're kind of a bubble team and you're one of those teams that's on the cusp of a playoff spot, that's the team that is usually believed to have the most incentive to make a deal. But as Neil was pointing out, it's really the team like the Dodgers because there's so much randomness in the playoffs that you don't really ever reach a point of diminishing returns where another addition just doesn't improve your odds. And so the Dodgers, of course, know they're going to be there. They're not like one of those wildcard teams that is hoping to win a coin flip game or get into a coin flip game. You know they're going to be there. And of course, Clayton Kershaw is hurt. Alex Wood and Rich Hill have been hurt many a time. And so there was this big discussion, of course, when Kershaw I went on the DL. Do they need to get an ace? Do they need to get a starter? And it really all depended on whether Kershaw would be back, but there is a lot of unknown there. And so they have dealt with that by acquiring you Darvish. And now there is a possibility that we could see a Dodgers playoff rotation of Kershaw, Darvish, Hill, and Wood, which is like not only one of the best playoff rotations we've seen, but just one of the most watchable. The capacity of those guys to put on the incredible single game performance. Yes. Like Darvish and Kershaw are probably two and three for me mm-hmm. in terms of guys that I'd I'd expect to see it dial it up in one game. And I think Scherzer's, Scherzer yeah, Scherzer yeah. would be number one. I think Chris Sale's up there. But you know, even the, some of the stuff we saw from Rich Hill last year. But it's a I mean the best pitcher of the generation, uh Darvish, who's the all-time leader in strikeout rate among starting pitchers, uh, mm-hmm. the best pitcher traded at last year's deadline, and the guy who would be third in uh, in ERA in the National League if he had enough innings to qualify. And here's who they're – I mean, if everybody's healthy, they're leaving out Brandon McCarthy, Hyunjin Ryu, and Kenta Maeda, who yeah. – you know, Maeda started a couple playoff games for the Dodgers last year. And those are all veterans having good seasons on expensive multi-year contracts. And that's – yeah. Getting, you know, you're not even getting into where would, um, um, where would Julio Urias uh, fall if right. he hadn't blown out his shoulder? Just the mm-hmm. depth of that starting rotation is incredible. Yeah. There might be playoff teams whose starting rotations are not much better than the Dodgers starters who don't get to pitch because they just have like seven guys yeah. that could do it. I so mean, if, if Lance, I mean, Lance McCullers went on the DL this afternoon, and, you know, if he's not. Depending depending on how healthy he is and how much we trust Brad Peacock, I you know, and this is a, an Astros team that's on pace to win about 110 games too. This is another historically great team that mm-hmm. you know that would the Dodgers get to seven starters who are better than you know, you know before the Astros get to three. Yeah, possibly, right? Yeah. And, you know, Darvish has had a down year in certain respects. I mean, his velocity is back up to where it has been in the past. And if you look at, I think, his exit velocity stats and sort of his expected stats, in many cases, they look fine. But his strikeout rate has dipped, which is, mm-hmm. you know, somewhat concerning because that happened well, before he's he only got striking hurt. out 10 guys for nine innings. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean, he's... He's still great, and his value was perhaps a little lower than the Rangers would have liked just because of some of the the first half struggles he's had and and has had issues lately, but I think still probably the number one guy on the market and just one of the most fun pitchers to watch in baseball, if not the most fun, just because of the sheer array of pitches he has and the way that they move. And I mean, I've been hoping for a full healthy Darvish season because there is just nothing better as a entertainment experience than that. Yeah, the the best pitch game, the best pitch single game I've ever watched while it was happening was that near perfect game against the Astros in April 2013, mm-hmm. where Marwin Gonzalez back when Marwin Gonzalez was terrible, broke it up with two outs in the ninth inning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Dar- I mean, it's it. I, 
I think Darvish is better than the surface numbers look for two reasons. One is it, it's a four ERA right now, but he's pitching in a really tough division in a really hitter friendly park in the American mm-hmm. League. And also he gave up 10 runs in his last start because he was tipping his pitches and then somebody yes. blabbed to Jeff <laughs> Patson and, you know, and Darvish uh, hilariously said, oh, thanks for letting me know. I can fix <laughs> yeah. that now. So Darvish Twitter that, has been good lately. He's he's a dog guy, which is something that I learned yeah. this season. Uh-huh. Um, from his yeah. Twitter account. Yeah. So as you mentioned, all those extra guys who they might not even be able to start if everyone's healthy at that point, some of them could go in the bullpen perhaps. And then also in the bullpen, they made moves in that area too. They acquired Tony Watson from the Pirates and somewhat less excitingly, Tony Singrani from the Reds, a couple Tonys. Mm-hmm. Two-tone Tonys Pirate Glee Club. I mm-hmm. I like that... You know, I don't know if Ryu or McCarthy or even Maeda really plays up in the bullpen the way that you'd like a starter to. But, I mean, you'd obviously take at least – like, depending on on how everybody's pitching going down the stretch, I'd almost want to use Wood as, like, a Chris Devensky-type guy Mm -hmm. and start McCarthy or Maeda. But, I mean, this is – a very difficult decision that Dave Roberts is probably going to be very, very happy to make uh, come, yes. coming down the line. I, I like the Watson trade uh, because it it's a good bullpen right now, but it's very righty heavy with Adam mm-hmm. Libertor on the on the DL. And even then, like if you you can improve on that as your top lefty. And I think Watson does a lot of work there for, you know, if you have to go get Bryce Harper out in the NLCS, for instance, I think he's mm-hmm. a. That's a, a nice, nice thing to to have. And I, the other thing is for Watson and Darvish, I like Willie Calhoun a lot, but uh-huh. it's, you know, they got this, they got this done without giving up Walker Bueller, without giving up Alex Verdugo, without giving up um, uh, Austin Barnes, you know, and they could still bring right. up Bueller, who's all of a sudden, like when I saw him at Vanderbilt, I said this the other day, like he looks small. He wasn't throwing that hard. He looked like a high schooler with the flu. Uh, often is not. And he's, you know, he came back from Tommy John. He's hitting 101 out of the bullpen. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's another weapon they can bring in. This is, I mean, I'm all of a sudden really, really excited to watch this Dodger team in the playoffs. Yeah, me too. I mean, they were the World Series favorite, I think, pretty clearly before making these moves. And now, I mean, they, they improved really their their only question marks or uncertainties, and they did it while not seriously thinning their farm system. So uh, this is a very much the, the prototypical rich get richer mm-hmm. type of deal here. But I like a super team. I do. And that's what we have here. And I mean, you are a recovering Phillies fan who watched the Cliff Lee, Roy Halladay, Roy Oswalt, etc. rotation, and it's not always a guarantee of anything, of course, and none of these guys is the healthiest and most durable, but this really, I mean, they were clearly the team to beat. They are now the team to beat that will be that much harder to beat. Yeah, I think I was sort of hoping for Darvish to go to a team like Milwaukee, um, and I think he mm-hmm. might have been on their no-trade list. I, I don't know if this was ever realistic, but a team that was sort of looking for its first taste of the playoffs in a while and would have gotten a lot out of of that, uh, you know, that rental ace. But this, I mean, that the 20, 2011 Phillies rotation um, comparison is just so perfect because that team was yeah. you just turn on the TV or go to the park not knowing who's on the mound and oh look this guy's going to get Cy Young <laughs> votes no matter yeah. you know what day of the week it is it's mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome all right let's take a quick break here and we'll be right back to dissect the rest of the deadline Thousands of people seeking home security get ripped off every day. You can get locked into long-term contracts, stuck writing huge checks with no way out. It's robbery itself, and it can cost you thousands. Now there's a smarter way to protect your home, Simply Safe Home Security. These are the guys we trust, and here's why. Simply Safe has no contracts. There's no commitment, no lock-ins, period. Plus, it was built by a Harvard-educated engineer to make you safer. It's wireless and portable with a cellular connection built in, and you get professional monitoring with police dispatch so your home is safe around the clock. Best of all, with Simply Safe, 24-7 protection is just 15 bucks a month. Most places charge three times that. It's unbeatable protection, a great value, and there are no contracts. And right now, Simply Safe is having its biggest ever summer sale. $100 off the special safeguard package. Visit simplysafe.com/ringer to get this deal. And hurry because this sale ends soon. Again, that's simplysafe.com/ringer. 
you did bring up the Astros because they are the other team that is on that incredible pace, and they did not do a whole lot. They got Francisco Liriano from the Blue Jays. Are you surprised, dismayed, disappointed that they did not do more? And of course, there's always August, Mm -hmm. and there are still guys that teams can add. I think it's fine. I don't know if you're going to get they're not going to improve their starting rotation in August. You just can't can't sneak a guy like that through waivers. Like, you know, I'm I'm a little disappointed. I mean, not cuz I, you know, have any particular interest in the Astros being good or not, but right. like it it would have been nice to see them go out and get somebody like Gray just because it's a it's a very very good rotation, but one, it's got a lot of question marks and not quite as much depth as as the Dodgers. And I just wonder if the juxtaposition of the Darvish and you know the Darvish rumors breaking, and then the Astros announced that Lance McCullers was going on the DL like ten minutes later, yeah. like that just sort of threw it into relief. Like you know, we thought of those two teams as sort of co favorites. I'm like, well, you know, not so much anymore. And mm-hmm. you know, at this point, like. You know they they, I, they also traded your guy Norie Aoki, so you know yes. I don't know. <laughs> you know. I can forgive that move. I uh, think he, based on how he's played. Yeah, he hasn't <laughs> been that great. I think Derek Fisher will be an upgrade, and Liriano does fill a need. I mean, they definitely did mm-hmm. need a lefty, and that's sort of then they're they're planning on using him as as a you know sort of a lefty specialist primarily, and I think he'll be quite good in that role. But you know. It's just a very stark juxtaposition between getting Darvish and Watson and a couple other nice pieces as opposed mm-hmm. to just getting Francisco Liriano. Like at this point, like right. Francis Martez better be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this was sort of a, an old school deadline in that it was just the two richest teams going out and getting the best players, at least in in the case of the actual deadline day, in that the Yankees have been the Yankees again at this deadline. We haven't seen the active Yankees in a while. They went through that one winter without signing a single free agent. They haven't been the team that's bidding for the big guys lately because they've been in this transition period bringing up young players and it got here faster, I think, than anyone expected. And because they got to this point this soon, they have been supplementing. And we already talked about the White Sox trade with Robertson and Canely and Frazier. And now they have also added Sonny Gray from the A's. They added Jaime Garcia from the Twins, who had a a nice uh, week or so to enjoy the exciting Minnesota pennant race before Mm -hmm. he was moved again. So yeah, this, I mean, we haven't really seen the Dodgers, although they have had the highest payrolls under the Friedman regime. They haven't really been the team that's gone out and signed the best available player on the market. They have retained some of their own players like Jansen and Turner, but they haven't really been bidding at the top of the market. Both of these teams have had some old contracts from previous eras that were still on the books and in some cases still are and have slowly been coming off. And so now we've seen Friedman go get the top guy available and we've seen Brian Cashman exit the rebuilding mode and trade some prospects for Sonny Gray. Yeah. I think this trade's a steal for the Yankees. I think that they gave up a lot of potential, but two of the three guys they gave up for Gray are hurt right now. And James Caprellian has been just from a developmental standpoint, just really, really fascinating in terms of he was a very polished pitcher coming out of UCLA and all of a sudden his fastball is five miles an hour quicker than it was, Mm -hmm. you know, when he was a a junior. But at the same time, he served 29 innings in three minor league seasons and he's currently recovering from Tommy John. And I think, you know, there's just, there's a, a, a non-trivial chance that the A's walk away from this with a fourth outfielder and Dustin Fowler and nothing else. And, mm. you know, I'm, I think what the Yankees have done, and, I mean, the, the reason, you know, why they do that sort of speaks for itself. That's not, you know, it's interesting what they've done, but why they've done it isn't all that interesting to me. I'm just, right. I think there's been a lot of, I, there's been a lot of discussion and rightfully so about what the A's are doing. Cause right now, and I wrote this mm-hmm. in the winners and, and losers piece, they're, you know, that, that July where they went all in for Lester and Samarja uh, and Jason Hamill and then just completely went in the tank and lost that wild card game to the, the Royals. And then they get, you know, they get rid of Josh Donaldson the year after. That's three years ago now. Yeah. You know, Steven Vogt sort of fell off and he's in Milwaukee now. And I don't know what they have to show for, 
for packing it in off that group. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're one team. It's sort of ironic that this team that was this, this, you know, quote unquote smart front office is, it just sort of looks adrift right now. Yeah. I mean, it does seem as if they've been overtaken in that respect by other teams that in some cases learned from the A's and now have bigger departments devoted to analysis and more resources. And that edge just didn't last all that long. And so, yeah, I think they are a tough team to watch right now. I I wouldn't say there are a ton of really exciting players on the A's. Maybe you like Chris Davis. Maybe you like Chris Davis a little. Yeah, me too. Maybe you had hopes for Jarrell Cotton, who hasn't really lived up to them this year. But it just has not been a team with a lot of appointment players. There are not a lot of like MLB TV channel changer, high priority types on this roster. And it is kind of caught in between. And and they did have some good pitching coming into this year. Some of it got hurt. Some of it has kind of been sunk by bad defense. And so I don't know where they're headed. And it did seem like they didn't have a lot of leverage in Gray's case because I just I think that everyone knew they wanted to and had to move him. He, of course, has been hurt in the past. He's had down seasons. You don't really know if that's going to happen again. And so you want to capitalize on what has been a, a healthy and successful season since he returned. And he has been very effective this year. So I think he's a guy that everyone knew they had to move him and would move him. And I don't know why there wasn't more of a market for him. I guess just, you know, he had that one great year a few years ago and he has been pitching well this year, but I think maybe he's someone who the reputation or the name is a little more impressive than the actual performance. And when you have that coupled with, with injury history, it's sort of a, a scary person to trade top prospects for. So yeah. I guess that's why we get this package. That's exactly where I come down on Gray. But I'm like you, I think I'm surprised that nobody really valued him as the guy that they mm-hmm. saw in, in 2015, particularly considering the the number of teams that are that could have used it. sure except for the Dodgers maybe I don't know how big of a, an upgrade Gray would have been on some of the guys in the back of the Dodgers rotation but you know I wonder if you know the Astros are kind of prospect huggy and the Brewers are run by David Stearns who's a Lunau protege and you know they he, you know he might we haven't seen David Stearns run a contending team but you know there's every pro- possibility that he could be the same way the Cubs mm-hmm. made their move early you know I I would be interested to know how the market sort of evolved for him because I am sort of surprised they're not selling him like for what he's actually worth. They're selling him for what they can get somebody to pay for him. And, you know, we say Mm -hmm. that, you know, the the winner's curse, it only takes one. And I'm I'm surprised that this was the best, best offer they got. Yeah. And meanwhile, as the Yankees have seemingly filled every hole that they had with Garcia, who, you know, is fine. You stick him in a rotation. He'll eat some innings. Yeah. And and they needed a guy like that, of course, after having lost Pineda. And so now that top of the rotation is, you know, nowhere near Dodgers level, but at least looking like a a group that you would want to take into the playoffs. And Mm -hmm. meanwhile, the Red Sox acquired Eduardo Nunez, who I know that you have many thoughts about. <laughs> Most people, I think, kind of shrugged when that move was made, but I know you have big thoughts. We'll get to that in a second. They also, on deadline day, acquired Addison Reed, who is really their third attempt at having a lights-out setup guy for Craig Kimbrell, because, of course, they hoped that guy would be Carson Smith. Then they hoped it would be Tyler Thornburg. Both of those guys got hurt and are not available. And so now they've gone with Addison Reed, who really is that caliber of pitcher, although completely different stylistically. He is a a contact guy, a guy who throws a ton of strikes, doesn't walk anyone, gets soft contact, and has been extremely effective with that model in the last couple of years with the Mets. So that is maybe less than some Red Sox fans were hoping. I really thought just a few weeks ago when the Red Sox passed the Yankees, put a couple games between them, I expected that that was going to be that, and they were just going to cruise to the division title, and that has not happened. And so they did not make enormous moves at this deadline, and I know there's probably some frustration on the part of fans who would have liked to see them do more. Yeah, so I'll say a couple things about that. First of which is Carson Smith threw a sim game today, so he is all mm-hmm. is not lost on that front. Uh, yeah. And, um, the other thing is they didn't give up near. I think 
I mean, Reed's been really, really good yeah. over the past two years. And I think mm-hmm. he got um, he got sort of a, a bad reputation from being sort of a I mean, he was he was a closer, but not a really good one in mm-hmm. in his days in Arizona. And then his the last time we all saw him on national TV, he was given up a billion runs in the 12th inning of game five of the world series for the Mets, but he's right. been very, very good over the past yeah. and two years. He is and, always around the plate. So he does give mm-hmm. up some home runs, but on the whole, just being constantly ahead in the count has worked out yeah. really well for him. And the other thing is they didn't give up that much for him. Like they didn't mm-hmm. give up that much for him or Nunez. Like they, they gave up five sort of, you know, 20 ish in the, in the system prospects. And I, you know, I say that as a guy who likes Sean Anderson a lot, um, you know, they got two really valuable pieces for not very much. And I think the other thing, the, the my big thought about Nunez and, you know, we've been bombarded with with the Red Sox are not doing anything. They're going the wrong way takes. Um, mm-hmm. it, the Red Sox were so bad at third base coming yes. into coming into the deadline. Truly like, atrocious, like one of the worst positions in the majors yeah. anywhere. And I'm, you know, I'm breaking out the reggaeton horn for, for <laughs> Darvish, but like the upgrade from Dar- from Brandon McCarthy to Darvish is, it might not be as big as the upgrade from Devin Marrero to Eduardo Nunez. And you could say, you know, Rafael Devers has, has come up and, and played really well through a week and we'll see how long that lasts. But even if it does, mm-hmm. you've given up two you know, sort of unspectacular relief pitcher prospects for a guy who's going to hit three, you know, three ten, steal a few bases, and can play five defensive positions. Like I can't imagine a situation in which a player like that is going to be really useful in the playoffs. So, mm-hmm. depending on what happens to Price, and depending on how well, you know, whether Brian Johnson is their their fifth starter, they're one starter short right now. Depending on how how yeah. long Price stays out, and maybe they get that guy in August. Maybe he emerges internally. But like they just have to get there, and then Chris Sale is starting a third of your playoff games. So, and mm-hmm. you've got a they've got a really deep lineup, and you know there there are two teams at least going to come out of the East. I think they're they're fine. They didn't they didn't need to make a move. Yeah, of course, there's a big difference between coming out of the East as the division winner and coming out of the East as a wild card winner, right? So, I mean, the Yankees are. Is it safe to say the most improved team of this month, I guess, just based on the sheer number of weaknesses they have shored up? I mean, they didn't get the best player available, but the combination of Gray and relievers and Garcia, I mean, that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, I think you'd have and, to say so. I think the right. Cubs are also well improved, but I think a lot of that is they're just playing better than they were yeah. three yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. And of course, right. I mean, the Cubs have made significant upgrades too. Quintana might very well be the best player to have changed teams at the deadline. You could make a, a Quintana over Darvish case I would at not, this point but, in their career. And I love but, Quintana, but I would not make mm-hmm. that case. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, maybe the most valuable person to have changed, changed hands once you consider yeah. that Darvish is a rental and Quintana's mm-hmm. got three years after this uh, on his mm-hmm. on his deal and even even Gray's only locked up through 2019. So yeah, you can understand why that's worth Eloy Jimenez and then some. Mm-hmm. And on deadline day, they also added Justin Wilson, who it seems like was one of the most coveted players. Period. Just the sheer number of rumors surrounding him and teams connected to him and. He's a good guy for them to get, obviously, against their likely playoff opponents, the Nationals, the Dodgers, a lot of lefties in those lineups. He will be very helpful there. So, I mean, there are a lot of reliever moves made on deadline day, and there's only so much you can say about yeah. any one reliever move. It's kind They're of, They're all the you same. Know, Everybody needs yeah. relievers. Ever, you know, most relievers right. who move are good. They also got Alex Avila in that deal, which is... Yes. That's as perfect a Miguel Montero replacement as you could ask for. Left-hand Mm-hmm. hitting catcher I mean, he's hitting he's hitting really well he's in like 293 yes. 70 470 something like that yeah he started um, off incredibly well yeah yeah there was the jokes about um tires gm alavila trading his own kid but yeah <laughs> right. he's wouldn't you rather play for the cubs than the, yeah, the no, tigers right now doing him a favor doing him sure. a solid exactly yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, the Indians got a little bit better because they added Joe Smith. Everyone, you know, the Nationals added Brendan Kinsler, who is a subject of a recent uh, Michael Bauman piece. 
Yeah, Joe Smith was always on on the Indians on some level. I think. <laughs> right. Yes, he, he was literally on the Indians. He was for a while before. There, I, yeah, I just <laughs> in spirit, I think he, he never left. Maybe he and Brian Shaw are the same guy in in my head. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and so the Nationals did, I guess, end up ending adding multiple closers. Right. I mean, in the the two A's that they added, Madsen and Doolittle, they they were kind of both closers or mm-hmm. guys who had been used to get saves interchangeably, and then Kinsler had been closing although as you pointed out in your piece was not the prototypical closer yeah i mean he'll get you some ground balls and he's another guy yep. who's always around the zone and and all three of those guys you know you know they're they pitch in high pressure situations before you know they're not gonna well i don't know like i guess you hope they're not gonna fall apart because i guess relief mm-hmm. pitchers are good until they're not and mm-hmm. none of those guys is craig kimbrell but they're three veteran competent relief pitchers of which the the nationals had maybe one right at, exactly. at the deadline so that's that's a huge improvement right there too yeah, it's not easy to build an entire bullpen in the middle of the season on the fly when everyone knows mm-hmm. that you need relievers. And they built about half a good bullpen, which is uh, – oh, that's saying something. And, uh, of course, they have my man Matt Albers still yeah. nailing down high leverage spots. ERA. <laughs> I love it. Are there any other major winners or losers trades that we have glossed over we should spend any more time on? Um. I just want to say it's a bummer that the Rangers seem like they're done. This is another yeah. thing I talked about in the in the piece. Like I had a lot I've had a lot of fun watching those Rangers teams and we've, you know, we talked about Adrian Beltre and that's, you know, he's he was one of the when he got there and they went to the World Series in 2010 and 2011 and there's you know it's always sort of been that team even though I think he and Elvis Andrews are the only guys left. Like you know, Jerks and Profar burned out and Cole Hamels looks like he might be starting to, you know, he's starting to get old. Nomar Mazar's bat hasn't developed the way that you'd expect. And then mm-hmm. everything's gone wrong for them this season. And, I, you know, I just always really liked watching that team. And it's it's a little sad to, you know, it just looks like this run is over. Yeah, and I've I've kind of been the the doom and gloom guy with the Rangers yeah, lately. You were it seems right. like, well, well, I, yeah, I'm not trying to take a victory lap because uh, I did this enjoy. This is like one of like seven also. things that we've actually disagreed about at any length <laughs> on this podcast. So I think yeah, yeah you and should. I know they still like Darvish, and there were reports or rumors that they'd be interested in resigning him, but. You just wonder whether they would be in a position to to do that if they don't have the rest of the team to surround him with. And I'm also curious about whether this will affect Shohei Otani's landing spot if he does take a pay hit and become available this winter. There were talks that maybe he would go where Darvish was. And now that's in L.A., which is always just because of location, a favorite to land Japanese players. So it's not that the Dodgers need yet another amazing ace type player, but maybe they have improved their odds slightly of retaining Darvish if they want to. And in that case, adding Shohei Otani, which would make them just uh, even more watchable. I mean, can you imagine if you like replaced their current fifth starter with Shohei Otani and kept everyone else so that they had Kershaw and Darvish and Otani and Wood we'd and to, Hill? We'd, we'd have to do a dispersal draft or something. Uh, yeah, like, you really would. You know, you know what we should do? There are enough There are enough talented players in the Los Angeles area to yeah. field two teams. So, you know, yeah. just give the give the Dodgers, you know, six through ten starters to the Angels and then Mike Trout mm-hmm. can drag them to the playoffs. Yeah, it's only fair. Yeah, so we did want to talk about Luke Wright because he was just traded to the Rockies and this is a year after he was Probably the most coveted player or best player to have changed teams. Yeah, I'd at say the for sure he was the best player who moved at the, yeah. the deadline. And last year. now he is an afterthought. It's really an incredible precipitous decline for him. And I have written about that and, and talked to talked about that at, at other times and in other places and podcasts, but it really is just worth pointing out. I mean, he could possibly even help the Rockies in that Tony Walters hasn't been great for them either, at least offensively. But Lucre has just cratered offensively. He's just hit a ton of ground balls this year. He hasn't hit the ball as hard. And the framing decline is, of course, the the more intriguing to me because 
He was the best framing receiving catcher in baseball not all that long ago, and he had been declining for the past few years, was basically like an average receiver last year even, but this year has just completely tanked and been the worst receiver in baseball. And when you watch him, I mean, he just seems to be missing pitches altogether. Like, forget about framing them. He has just failed to catch some pitches and just has looked out of place and crossed up. And I know that the Rangers pitching staff hasn't been the best and he just joined them last year. But I just don't think that explains no. much, if any, yeah. of what we're seeing here. He has been among the best receivers in baseball with lousy Milwaukee staffs and Robinson Chirinos. His backup this year has been frying framing wise, throwing to or being thrown to by the same pitchers. So I just think it's something it could be a combination of the injuries he's had, the concussion he had. You don't know how that affects your ability to you know, make these split second moves and anticipate where a pitch is going and make these very subtle adjustments. But this year, I think going by baseball prospectus's win value stat, which does account for framing, I think the last time I looked, Lucroy had literally been like the least valuable player in baseball just because his bat hasn't been there and his glove has actively hurt the team. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. He went from being traded for Lewis Brinson and um, Luis Ortiz, who were both like top fifty prospects, to yep. and you know a lot of that is the contract because it was you know a yeah. year and a half versus a couple months, but like literally a player to be named later, and you know we don't know who that's going to be, and I think it's you know within reason well worth the the Rockies to take a flyer on him uh, mm-hmm. at this point, but it's just it's mind bending how. Yeah, he's he's been this way all year, and as recently as there were people complaining about Luke Rowe starting over Buster Posey periodically during the World Baseball Classic, and I remember thinking there's not much difference between the two, and turns yeah. out like that's very much not the case anymore. It's you know yeah. this this guy was the the best you know Buster Posey is head and shoulders the best catcher of of his generation, but to me Luke Rowe was a clear number two and has been mm-hmm. for a while, and it's you know. You don't want to speculate about concussions or, you know, hidden injuries, but it's hard to – I can't think of a better explanation. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a skill that does tend to decline as you age, but gracefully, not just yeah. be falling the from best fella, to worst. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. I don't know how to explain it. And, and I know there's been some speculation that maybe umpires have punished him essentially because he developed this reputation as a great framer. And so they were kind of on the lookout and maybe were even stricter with him than they would be with some catchers. And there could be something to that theory, but there have been other catchers who haven't been affected in that way, despite also having those reputations. And when Tyler Flowers was on this podcast, he expressed some skepticism about that theory because as he said, and as I had thought before, it just seems like a a tough thing to keep in mind if you're an umpire and you're having to make these instant calls on a pitch that you can hardly see just to to keep it in your head from one half inning to the next that, oh, Luke Roy's catching. I have to be on my guard here. I don't know if that would be an easy mental adjustment to make. But if you think about it from a financial perspective, and obviously by the standards of your typical human being, Luke Roy is just fine financially. And so I understand if you have no sympathy for his plight, but if he had been a free agent a year earlier, if he had been a free agent last year, even coming off what was not his best year, but a a good year in a weak market for catchers when someone like Matt Wieters was like a headliner, I mean, he would have just cashed in tremendously then. And now, and you saw it even at the deadline last year, I know that Cleveland fans are still angry with Lucroy because they feel like they were snubbed because, of course, Lucroy was actually traded to the Indians and then he exercised his no trade clause. And that was not because he hates the Indians and didn't want to play in Cleveland or anything like that. It was just because he was trying to use the little leverage he had to get a team to give him an extension because he had that $5 million option for this season and was obviously worth way more than that or so we thought at the time. And so his only hope was to threaten to exercise his no trade clause in exchange for 
getting an extension and the Indians wouldn't do it. And so he vetoed the trade and the Brewers ended up finding a trade partner that was not on his no trade list. So it didn't work out for him, but I totally understand why he did it. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, you know, that would have been worth a lot to him if he had managed to get that option voided or get an extension right then and and that didn't happen and so now you're looking at a have like a pillow contract type guy if even that i mean he's someone who really if if he continues playing like he was this year you just would not want him on your team basically so someone will take a shot at him but he does have a shot at least going to Colorado he is a guy who puts the ball in play a lot and and that's especially this year and that's a good place to play if you put the ball in play a lot and if he somehow manages to to play well down the stretch for a playoff team that could help restore some of his value but really I, I don't know if any player has seen his reputation and his financial prospects fall as quickly in that span of time yeah I'd say the one thing that I might even be exactly Exaggerating this effect because even Weeders didn't, you know, didn't really cash in last year either. But one mm-hmm. thing he has going for him is it will blow your mind how many good teams have really bad catchers. I mean, not yeah. only the the Rockies, but you know the but you know Weeders has been bad. The Red Sox have sort of struggled with Sandy Leon has turned out not to be the real deal uh, behind <laughs> right. the plate there. Jan Gomes' bat has not grown back in Cleveland, and Roberto Perez still can't hit. So there's mm-hmm. going to be need, and particularly need among contending teams. Um, so, like, he'll land somewhere. And it, you know, he's not going to go play somewhere for the mm-hmm. minimum or anything like that. But, you know, he was looking at, I don't know, I would have given him five years, $100 million easily last year. And yeah, no, he would have gotten the Russell Martin contract or or something like that. He was the same age. And yeah, that is completely off the table now. So it often just does come down to timing timing of when you're available. I I wrote that when Jose Bautista signed his one-year deal this past winter. It's like he's a guy who could have made much more if things had happened in a slightly different sequence. And it just, it all depends on your walk year and your contract here in some cases. And even then, Bautista made like three times as much as Luke Roy has. Yes. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, this was something I factored in when I was doing my worst contracts in baseball piece last year is just the difference between hitting the market at, and this is like, you talk about selling out one or two of your free agent years, and it doesn't sound like that much, but the difference mm-hmm. between hitting the market at 29 or 30 versus 31 or 32 is enormous. Yeah. Like, yep. I mean, it, it could be in the, it's, it is in the tens of millions of dollars. It could be in the, you know, 50 to $60 million range in terms of what it costs a guy. All right. Are there any other minor to moderate moves that we haven't mentioned here? We haven't talked about the, the Royals reuniting with Melky Cabrera. Is there is there anything else uh, or any winners and losers you wrote about that we haven't touched on? No, I think the Phillies got rid of everybody they needed to. What do you think about the mm-hmm. Orioles hanging on to Brock and Britain? Yeah, they could yeah, I. I don't know what to make of that because I, I, all that I've, I've experienced all of the Orioles rumors through the prism of our editor and, and friend Mallory Rubin being distressed about the prospect of losing Zach Britton, but I don't see the Orioles doing anything here. And I think just in general, if you don't need a reliever in the current season, you, you might as well see what you can get for him. And yeah, I mean, Brock and Britain, I, I don't know why they didn't move them. I mean, with them, it seemed like there was the more... The timing rele- of Britain coming back from injury complicated everything. I think yeah, if definitely. he had another month or two to show everybody that he was the old Britain, then maybe mm-hmm. he moves. Yep. And maybe that's why. But I mean, yeah, coming into the season, we all thought they would be one of the most intriguing cases, not just with relievers, but with Manny Machado, if they weren't competitive, just based on what they have coming, which is not a lot. And so it seemed like they were a good candidate to get things started with a rebuild or, or some kind of rearming. And yeah, they yeah. they did not do that. So. I wonder if the the beltway pissing contest between them and the Nationals, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because I mean that would have been if there was a team that needed to buy a really good bullpen wholesale, that was it. Um, right. The other thing, the other thing I wanted to the guy who didn't move that I want to uh, bring up is Lance Lynn, who mm-hmm. you know he probably wouldn't help the Dodgers, but he probably would have helped everybody else. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he's a free agent at the end of the year and he's always been in my heart because he showed up in the best shape of his life 
trademark uh, in spring training one year, and his secret <laughs> was switching from beer to vodka in the offseason. And <laughs> he's got a 320 ERA right now, and he's wildly outpitching his peripherals. But even if you take like his DRA, he's still about a league average starter, and he's you know he's a workhorse. He's an incredibly useful pitcher. And the Cardinals are going nowhere this year, and he's going to be a free agent. I've, you know, I'm interested to see what their plan is, whether they give him the qualifying offer. And he's one of those guys who's on the line. You know, you wonder if he if he takes it or not. Maybe the most surprising news of the day was that the Mets are finally promoting Ahmed Rosario. I so thought that, that would a... never happen. <laughs> I know, right? It's not even September yet. They finally did it. Well, are there any teams that uh, did not trade people who should have been traded other than Lynn? I mean, we saw that the Blue Jays did kind of trade some guys, Smith and, and Liriano. As long as they have a plan, that doesn't – nothing mm-hmm. that they do would really bother me. Verlander staying put, I think, was yeah. was predictable but nonetheless interesting. Mm-hmm. Good job by the Twins for laundering Jaime Garcia and then <laughs> selling him a week later. At a, yeah. That was just a masterful move because they got him when he would – like I loved that trade at the time because they were just hanging on. I'm like, Jaime Garcia – like – they right. could use the league average and starting pitcher right now, and they lost a bunch of games and yeah. sold them for yeah. red paper clipped him. That was yeah, that was huge. No, it was, oh, Brad Hand it, was the other. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, we heard you know the most coveted pitcher perhaps coming the into next the next Andrew the Miller. Yeah, right. And and the Padres of course did trade many of their relievers to the Royals, but did not do anything with yeah. Hand. What's his contract status, and and is he under control for a while? Uh, he is arbitration eligible this year. He is a free agent after the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously there was a lot of interest and maybe the Padres just asked a lot for him. No, AJ Preller doing weird stuff in trade discussions. I would <laughs> never hear of it. You know, it's it's a tough situation. But even though the Padres were dealt a bad hand, they should have dealt Brad hand. Oh. <laughs> I was going to ask for one more farewell horn, so you just supplied one for yourself. All right. Well, you have been listening to The Ringer MLB Show, part of The Ringer Podcast Network. We will be back later this week. There will be less news in the interim, but we will find something to talk about, as we always do. Thank you for covering for me while I was in Salina and uh, writing up all those moves. I do encourage everyone to go to The Ringer and read Michael's reactions and Zach Cram's reactions to all the major moves that were made. Yeah, Zach Cram's putting in big work while you're off sunning yourself by the empty pool. (laughs) Yes, I, I owe Zach a debt. Zach is great. All right, so we will leave it there. We will be back later this week. (laughs) 